Hello, and welcome to Get Wrecked. I am your host, Stephen Falgu. And I am your other host, Louis Falgu. And Get Wrecked is our bi-weekly, or uh, I think as we have determined, our fortnight podcast, uh, where my brother and I, Stephen and I, two brothers, recommend... Uh, various media to each other, whether that be an album, a movie, a video game, whatever. And then we come back the next episode in two weeks to discuss the recommendations. And welcome back, Lewis. Yeah, it's um, been a long time. I know you've missed me, but... Um, you we're know. getting into the swing of uh, Toyota-thon season. Happy Honda days. Uh, I'm actually sitting here... As we are recording, surrounded by Lexus season of giving lights at my desk. <laughs> uh, today, today in sunny Florida, it was our one day of winter. The high was 62 degrees. And that was our winter for the year. So it was nice to have it today on the day that we record. And I'm looking forward to being in the high 80s again. Yeah, that'll be fun uh, tomorrow. Yep. I um what what are you doing, Lewis, for this um well, happy Honda days? Well, um I'm uh I don't the, the thing is I, I don't really have much plans because you see I was just on my trip um across Europe and Asia for the entire year. Um and actually the stand-in host that Steven got to replace me was incredibly effective because I don't think that anybody noticed it wasn't actually me. Yeah, so good job on that impeccable. one, Steven. And now that I'm back for Honda Days, I don't. It's it's like, how do you how do you have plans for another vacation when you just yeah, well, took I a know, year long vacation? I don't know. I know that I know that you don't believe in Honda God, um, but you know, I think you can still celebrate. Yeah, I mean, I I I normally would. You know, that's the thing. I normally would. Um, I would decorate my six Hondas. With all of the lights in the world, you know, literally every light in the world. Mm -hmm. But this year I decided to be a little more generous to everybody else celebrating Honda Day so that they could use some of those lights because I never really gave them away. Um, so I think yeah, well, this one I'm I... just going to take a break, take 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 the holiday off. And and by that I mean not participate in the holiday for a year. And I'm, I'm sure as everyone knows, but I'd like to reiterate, uh, the tradition that you speak of is when Honda Jesus created the four Honda elements. And to commemorate the event of creating the four Honda elements, we light the Honda tree. Right. <laughs> What's the Honda tree? Just just not not for me, of course. It's so the audience. Yeah, knows. right, right, right. Of, co of course. Um, it's just a pile up of Honda vehicles. Oh, yeah. With a, the big bow, you have to have the big bow. Mm -hmm. um, and the more sales you make, the more you're incentivized. Wow. Yeah, it's um, it's our it's our favorite capitalist holiday. Um, and I, as a uh, as a uh, our favorite populist holiday because it's a holiday for the people. Specifically, uh, business men and women involved with Honda specifically. Yes, it's really a holiday for all us salespeople out there in the world, you know? <laughs> Is this one big marketing campaign? Yes. Uh, but we're not sponsored. We're, it's an unsponsored marketing campaign. I think they'll appreciate that. No, but again, again, I just have to reiterate, 
Honda, if you're listening, we will sell out so yeah. quick. Oh yeah, no, no, it won't even like take, so quick. It won't even take a minute. It'll be like immediate. We'll be in like the middle of a like, show. What? In the middle of a show, you send me an email. Bam, everything's just Honda logos. Yeah. We're talking. We'll about retroactively <laughs> go back to all the other episodes and record over them <laughs> yeah. to make sure we include the sponsorship. Yeah, we're a little lazy, so we might do it using text to speech. But uh, I think uh, I think they'll be okay with that. I hope so. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an extra charge. Um, and speaking of Honda, what did you recommend to me last week, Stephen? Uh, so in the spirit of Happy Honda Days, I recommended to you the Vampire Weekend album, Modern Vampires of the City. It was their 2013 album, their third studio album. Lewis, what did you think? Of Modern Vampires of the City. Thank you, Stephen. Um, well, um, yeah, so I think that, that I guess I'll just uh, get right into it and just say my conclusion in the beginning so that no one is confused. I think that this is a good record. I, I, I like this album. Um, I think it's very um, almost, uh, I don't know, very regal, but it's, 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 it's a little regal. You know, it's got really nice, um, really nice orchestrations across the tracks. It, it feels, it, it's odd because it, it almost, despite the obvious, like, quirkiness and, or indie quirkiness, I suppose, um, it, it, it feels like it is of another time period, which is pretty cool that they managed to match those or mix those two things together, if uh, what I'm saying makes any sense to you. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that this was their third and to this point last studio album because after this they kind of split, although I heard rumors that they might be getting back together. However, it feels like an interesting album to go out on exactly for the reasons that you just mentioned. It's orchestral and kind of regal nature seems like a very interesting way to kind of say goodbye and in a way, I don't think they they meant it that way. But looking back on it now, it's interesting because their their especially their first album was a lot. I mean, it was still very indie quirky, but it was a much faster album. Um, the 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 tempo of the songs was much quicker, much much more indie pop than I would say this kind of charts into. And even their second one gets a little closer to this, but still is that same kind of indie pop quality. Whereas the majority of these songs are very introspective um, and and kind of a product of, of an older time. Now, not to say not all of them are kind of slow and, and orchestral, like, for instance, Diane Young is a pretty poppy song, but it's like a pop song from the 50s, basically, made in 2013. Well, I don't know that I would say that because it's very punk-influenced. I think Diane Young is maybe the biggest exception here to what I was talking about. Um, but I, I mean, I, you know, I, it's not to say that I want to be clear that I'm not saying that anything on here sound like actually you could tell me it was made in the fifties and I believe you cause I totally wouldn't. It's very clearly of the 2010s or two thousands even. Um, but I, I simply mean that the, it's, it's like the, the, the aesthetic of the record, it seems like it's set in a time period before only with modern sensibilities which is a really yeah cool that's mix. that's right that's i i agree yeah. that's where i was going to yeah and i um i think that i i think that the 
best bit of this record is the first half of the record. I think the first half of the, of the album is very solid. Um, there's a lot of really strong material on here. Like, um, the, just the opening track right off the bat. I love how this thing just gets going immediately. Um, and every time I start the album up, it's like I my, my mouse click syncs up with the first note. It's like it's that immediate. Um, but it's really nice. It, the, the first track really feels like it feels like waking up. It's like a morning. It's a great opening to the record. Um, it, it almost reminds me of, and it's like genuinely nothing like this song, but it reminds me of Sunday Morning by Velvet Underground in that way, where like when I open up the album, I, I feel like I'm waking up in the morning. It's really nice. Um, and I... I think that I, 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 but yeah, like I said, the, the first half of this album has really great um, pacing track to track. I think all the songs there are, are very solid. Um, and I'm talking like up to Hannah Hunt. Hannah Hunt's fucking fantastic. That's the best song on the record, I would say. And that's probably the best example of um, the, maybe not the, the best example to show off the sound of this album necessarily, but it's probably the best um purely the best example of it quality wise, like the, the point where I think it all mixes together the nicest, um, having this very quiet and introspective and mellow, um, uh, song for like, you know, about two minutes. And then at the very end, busting out into this really regal and, um, expansive, uh, piano melody. And it's just, it's really, uh, his vocals are fucking great in this section. I, uh, yeah, I, lo I love that song. It's a great song. It has a fantastic climax. And then after that, I feel like the record kind of dips out, to be honest. Um, like, uh, I, I feel like most of the, pretty much all of the weakest songs on the record land on the second half. And I, I, I say I still enjoy all of them, but once you get, uh, I, I enjoy all of them up until like the last two, which are just really banal and it, 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 if I, I don't, I believe I heard that a fourth LP is coming. Um, I think, but I, I think the band did split up for a while after this, but it, it, let's say that indeed yeah, this that's is what, their final. That's what I was kind of alluded to. Right. Um, apparently there might be a fourth LP coming next year, but not 100% not positive. Yeah. So let's say that this were indeed their final statement. I think those last two tracks are very poor way to go out because uh, it's very just i don't know it feels like the album just flat lines there yeah i would agree with you i actually i think actually pretty much every track one through ten it, it's weird because with this album and it doesn't happen with a lot of albums but this album every time i listen to it i feel like i enjoy different songs at different points in time so in for a while like Unbelievers, Diane Young, Don't Lie, Hannah Hunt, those were kind of my favorite. Then it sort of shifted to Don't Lie, Hannah Hunt, Everlasting Arms, Fingerback. And I shift up and down between 1 and 10. But I completely agree. Hudson and Young Lion are just banal and not very interesting. And really, and you mentioned how great of an opening the first track is. They're, neither of them are a good way to close out. I feel like they could have easily closed out on Yahey. Yeah, probably. And had a very, very solid album. The last two really don't bring anything to the table. Yeah, and I, I, I will say that for the records, uh, tracks seven through ten, I, I, I don't think are bad. I actually, Yahe, Worship, You Finger Back are all good tracks too. Uh, I just think that they're all weaker than one through six. 
Um, but yeah, I don't really think this thing just kind of drops dead until the last two songs, which aren't bad, right? I think we can both, they're not bad. It's just kind of like, okay, well, that, yeah, was, they're not bad. You know, that was nothing, um, which is, is a bit of a shame. But, um, but yeah, I do think this album's carried by its first half, and it is a, it is a strong first half. You know, I will say that um, I don't, I've heard very, very, very few Vampire Weekend songs from the first two records. I've heard this album even going back before Stephen recommended it, but I've never heard Contra with a self-titled, though I have heard a song or two. And Diane Young, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Diane Young to me seems sort of Vampire Weekend by the numbers, right? Like that seems more like what yeah. I've heard from them from their other two records. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very strong song. I think the climax of this song towards the finish is like amazing it really like picks up the pace right there at the end of this song it's so good but there are bits of this song that are just annoying <laughs> like i think when it starts pitching and pitch shifting his vocals up and down and just it, it gets like it's just gross sounding i'm really not a fan of that i think that um and i also think that another weak point here in the first half that i was praising as well is like you know a song like unbelievers is a very strong song but it also kind of sounds like movie trailer core like the kind of indie pop indie rock stuff you'd put like in a movie trailer it in that it just it's like it's 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 a solid song but it feels kind of bland to me i think where this album's strongest points are is, is stuff like obvious bicycle and uh, step and hannah hunt where i like i'm really getting that sort of like a old timey aesthetic um and just this really nice regal um orchestrated indie rock indie pop indie rock's probably not even accurate but i think that's where this album's strongest uh strongest points are as opposed to uh the more basic stuff like unbelievers and diane young and i guess you could say worship you so i want to talk a little bit about the lyrical quality of these tracks yeah i want to get your thoughts on what you think about the lyrical quality um, so it's not something I paid a ton of attention to. Uh, what I gather on, um, for example, a song like Obvious by... It seems... So uh, taking a song like Obvious Bicycle, um, you could even say like... Um, really, that's the one that's sticking out to me because that's the one that lyrically probably sticks out to me. Is there? You were right when you said that this album was introspective because I feel like that's really what's going on here. It feels... Um, it's It's not so much like sad or like... Um, self-pitying so much, but it's, like, trending in that direction. Um, although it's it's almost more comfortable than that. It's a weird way to describe what I'm trying to say, but, like, when you take that album where, like, he's, you know, um, spare yourself the razor because no one's going to spare the time for you, it's like, that seems like a pretty sad lyric, but for whatever reason, the way that the lyrics are often matched up with these instrumentals, it feels... I don't know. It feels kind of comfy in a way. It's bizarre. I would say bizarre is a good descriptor because Ezra's lyrics are usually quite bizarre. In fact, I think oftentimes they're nonsensical. Um, but with that being said, yeah, I, I agree. So, so like I mentioned, this one's very introspective and hits on themes of like age, hits on themes of religion. There's a lot of religious qualities here. Yeah especially like in Yahweh, those are, those are the most apparent probably because he's specifically referencing um, biblical characters and locations. Um, but just like some of their other albums, there's a lot of songs here about, um, about girls and relationships. 
Uh, I think I think probably the most interesting song on the track is Hannah Hunt, as we talked about, and then I would probably put Yahe in that mix too. As something that's just like you can feel you can feel the growth of in in this case, I guess I would specifically say Ezra, but kind of as your of your protagonist as they're as they're learning about the world and as they become more reflective. And I feel like that propagates throughout a lot of these songs. Yeah, sounds like you described that better than I could, because <laughs> that's that, that that's that's true. And I and because I, I think what one thing that's interesting I will say is like if you were to take if you were to take and listen to all of the albums sequentially, you can feel the growth happen. There's there's almost a character arc that happens between the three albums. The first one, he's there. The whole band is very young. In fact most of it was written when they were in college together and a lot of the songs are very are are kind of college awkward anthems the second song the second album gets a little gets a little older and it's more about family and and the relationships you build and and like growing up and then this feels like kind of the end stage where it's like okay now i've grown and i'm i'm reflecting back on my experiences and what i've learned and who I who I am and who I want to become. So that's probably all sounds very pretentious, but uh, I think you could definitely read that as if you were to listen to all of these just back to back to back. Yeah, and even sonically, it gets that message across. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of to your point of the orchestral mix and the slow slower pace of this album. I know you haven't listened to the other ones, but this one's definitely much slower pace as in total than the other two especially the first album the first album's like i mentioned very poppy very quick yeah so uh, i mean i um i'm not sure what else there is to say about it i guess the 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 last thing i want to stress is that you know once again i feel like this is this does seem like one of those records that kind of peters out over its runtime which is definitely a shame but i i think that when I, if I do think about this record, if I do listen to this record, I, I do feel like it's carried quite a bit by its first half. And I think that um, if they are to make another album, I would be curious to hear if they expand on this sound because I think that this is the kind of album to me that sounds like it precedes something that could be really great, right? Like it, it sounds like to me when I listen to this, it sounds like a band on the verge of like making something truly fantastic. Um, but they just haven't quite honed it in yet. That's what I get from this. And I'm, you know, if what they make next is similar to this, I could see them making something really grand because this certainly hints at something like that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to check out their other two records and see what you're talking about there, but you're probably right because what I've heard from those two things does sound very, my mic is going upward, does sound kind of very youthful and uh, energetic compared to what's on this record so that'd be interesting to hear but um i think i'm ready to wrap it up if you are yeah uh okay so yeah i basically just gave my final thoughts i would i recommend this i'm not really sure i think um probably i mean i I think it's worth hearing i think it's a good record i i i think that there are quite a few really solid songs on this so you know sure i guess i would um, it's not like a glowing recommendation, but sure, yeah. Um, and uh, for a score, I'd give this uh, seven. Yeah, sticking with that. Okay. 
Yeah, and I would definitely recommend this. Vampire Weekend, maybe surprising no one, are my favorite band, so maybe I'm biased. Uh, but I would probably give this album an eight. A very solid eight. Maybe a little higher than that. Maybe like an eight, five, something like that. Because like I said, I every time I listen to this, especially tracks one through ten, it feels like every time I listen to it, I'm discovering something new. I'm enjoying different parts of that makeup at different times. But it really is the last two tracks that just kind of take it down for me a little bit. It just, it just feels, they just feel like such banal tracks to have ended this thing on. Something that had a lot of grandiose nature to a lot of the tracks. They're just so slow and sluggish. So because of that, I take it down a couple couple notches so here's a question what's your favorite vampire weekend record and and that is really hard actually i don't know if i could pick one i think but is it not this from pure i see i so my initial reaction would would be to say the first album Uh i really like their first studio album but i think that's purely because of the numbers the number of listens that i've given that one and as i've as i've listened through their playlist and their you know, there um, are three albums. It's like, it feels like I'm always changing my mind on which one I, I give the nod to. But just because it's probably is my gut reaction, I would say that I think that their first album is my favorite. Sure. Yeah, I'll probably check out their other two stuff because I like this record and I was kind of planning on doing that anyway. Okay, so are we ready to move on? Yep, let's do it. Okay, so I recommended Steven... The second film in the Indiana Jones trilogy, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This film came out in 1984. And I'm just going to let you take it from here. Oh, boy. Yep, that's it. Okay. Podcast over. That's all you need to know. <laughs> um, so this film. I want to say first and foremost that I've never been the biggest fan of the Indiana Jones franchise. I like Raiders. I think the third one is okay. And then there's this one and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. So let's talk about this one. Let me talk about first what I enjoyed from this watch. Because I've seen this thing a couple times now, at least three maybe, and then this was probably my either my third or my fourth watch. This movie is bad. It has the most dislikable characters. But, and I said I would say the good things first, but because of that, on this watch, I, I, I framed the movie differently. And I liked how cheesy and terrible it was. <laughs> so some some other I, things that I, so so that's kind of that's kind of a backhanded compliment. So I'll give my I'll give my actual kind of. positive my yeah. actual positives here. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of the fight choreography is really great in this one. I think that I really like the whole ending of this movie. For the most part, I think it drags on a little too long, but it's just a really fun climax to this thing, especially the the minecart escape, 
and some and all that stuff that's happening in the mine. Even when they're out on the bridge, that's a really fun moment. But like I mentioned, I do think it it drags a little too long. There was a part where I was like, okay, basically they're like hanging off the bridge with the main villain, and he's like trying to pull them down, and they're trying to pull him down. And I'm just like, okay, we get it. Just do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's taking too long. Yeah. Um. I I still like Harrison Ford's portrayal of the character. I think the character is just as charismatic for the most part <laughs> in this one <laughs> yeah. as he usually is. Um, he's just a fun character to have adventures with and, and to, to follow on, on his journey through this, this thing. I think the setting is really interesting. Um, India and then within the mines, but that's about where it stops. Yeah. And I, I, I will quickly agree with you that that is it the film's positive right there. You just let, you just gave it. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Although. Okay. So I don't, I think the one problem is in the way that you described that is I want to stress that I think that that climax is actually pretty amazing. Like it, like that is a section of the film that is actually so good that it dampens Oh, oh yeah. How yeah, I, negative I feel about other stuff in the film. Like I will say that without that sequence, I would say this film is absolutely awful. But like because that yeah. and that that's a decently lengthy sequence. Like that sequence of the film that last uh, maybe third or last quarter of the movie is so good that it does allow me to feel a little bit like a, a little bit less negative on this film than I would otherwise, which is a pretty big deal. Right. I mean, when, when I, yeah. when you think Indiana Jones and you think about some of the best scenes from the film, I, or from these films, I think a lot of people do actually think of this sequence from this movie. Cause it is really good, expertly directed. Um, and yeah. And I mean, like if that were the movie, it'd be pretty fantastic, but of course it isn't. There's a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I hope I didn't give the wrong impression because I 100% completely agree with you. It is incredible. Besides, like I mentioned, I think at the very end of it, it drags on a little too long because it is a very large part of this film, actually. Like, I was surprised by basically once once Indy and... I don't know if this is spoilers, so maybe we won't go there yeah, yet. But yeah. there's there's basically a, a pivotal moment of the film where it transitions into this just final climax for like the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and there's a list it goes on a little it stays it's welcome a little too much but other than that it is absolutely incredible it, it was mainly one of the reasons why i came out of this watch other than like i said kind of just i really enjoyed making fun of it yeah. other than that it was one of the reasons why i came out of this watch and i actually feel like i enjoyed this movie more than i had before because i had forgotten how how incredible all of that is yeah, I will say so I don't talk I, about the negatives. Well, I just I just, I just want to say one last thing, just so I'm clear about my enjoyment of that scene. I will say that that sequence probably doesn't match like literally anything in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like even the not action scenes in Raiders of the Lost Ark, I probably prefer watching than this sequence. But that's just because I love that movie so much through and through. Um, and I don't even, but I do think that that sequence may actually be more entertaining than anything in Last Crusade, uh, possibly. Uh, so I am very positive on that. And uh, now let's shit on this movie because it sucks. God, it's just, can I just start by saying, let's, let's take this thing one step at a time. I don't like the way this movie opens. I think it's oh, just 
stupid. I know. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, <sighs> so it opens with this like version of, um, oh, what's the song? So the character Willie, who we'll get to, definitely. It's in Shang- Shanghai, and it opens with this version of, I want to say putting on the Ritz, but it's like basically putting on the Ritz, but the what the, what it's sampled from. Um, and Indy sits down to meet with this kingpin, and he wants the diamond, but he clearly is an idiot. Like, he doesn't have a plan on how to actually get this diamond, mm-hmm. and everything goes sideways. He drinks from a glass at the table that turns out to be poison. It's like, why would you even have done that? Yeah. In this negotiation setting, you know he's a mobster. Well, and then there's just like screaming and balloons are falling. And it's just this like basically Benny Hill moment where he, they're, they're like kicking the diamond and yeah, he wants the poison. They're literally like and, crawling around on the floor while the crowd is like running around and kicking the fucking an- or the antidote or the diamond or whatever the fuck. Or, or the antidote. Both of them. Yeah, yeah both of them. They're them and kicking them all around the ground. And it's just it's just like cartoonish. And I, so I get stupid. that Indiana Jones is obviously like a is supposed to be like an adventure serial. And obviously there's an element of silliness to it but like this this is like if you told if you explain to somebody let's say explain to somebody who had never seen it the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark right it's obviously a very over-the-top and ridiculous adventure moment right but if they never seen the film and the way it's directed and the way it's portrayed um they they would get the impression that you're describing to them a cartoon. Give that person a script and make them the director, and I could see them coming up with an opening scene like this. Like it seems like a, just a blatant misunderstanding of the way that that silliness is portrayed in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Like just amped up to an absurd degree, where it's like you're watching a cartoon with live actors, and it's just dumb. Like it's just, it's just... really dumb. <laughs> And it's and it's just kind of like at the end of all of it, you're like, why? What was the point of any of that? No one came out on top there. No, like none of it mattered. And that's kind of a whole portion of where I don't understand where this film is going. Because then, okay, so the way it ends is he gets in a plane and he's like, goodbye, whatever your name is. But then that dude's name is on the plane and the guy cackles. And it's like, <laughs> what? That's so stupid. I know. Again, it's like a cartoon. So then the – do we need to put spoilers for this movie? Does anyone care? Yeah, well, I do have a spoiler tag, so I'll do it. Are we getting into – are we going to, okay. like, start really talking about the story? Yeah, let's just really start All talking right. about the story because that's where – that's that's one of the many issues I have with this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will say, actually, another thing that I, that I um, generally enjoyed – what I enjoyed the directing for the most part. I think a lot of the shots – were well choreographed, especially as you get into the final climax. I'd say the settings are all really neat. Like the yeah, and, the, and like the I mentioned, setting. yeah, the settings are really cool and yeah. pretty and pretty interesting and unique. Yeah. Um, but the script is just abysmal. Yeah, and it's like every time. Here's the thing about Temple of Temple of Doom. So I don't know why I latched onto it as much as I did with this watch, but when it said when George Lucas's name came up, I was like. This is where it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might be. This one. It really might be because I think this is before – yeah, this is before the third Star Wars film. And the th- third Star Wars film feels super Lucasy to me too. I think you might actually have a point with that. I think this might be the point where like George Lucas went off the fucking deep end. Yeah. Although I don't know how much influence he actually had in this movie though. That's the thing. 
Because well, I believe it was just the producer, right? And I know that he had a lot of influence in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But I don't know to the extent at which uh, he had influence in this film. It certainly seems like he had a lot. Um, but I don't um, really know. Um, what if we make a scene where they're thinking about having sex with each other? <laughs> That's, that's my George Lucas for you. Okay, we might have gone a little far in a few places. Uh, so the uh, the plane, the people jump out of the airplane and it crashes. And so the main plot of this movie is Indiana Jones just happens to crash into an Indian village that needs to get their stone back. And also all their children are missing. And also he's with a woman who's incredibly annoying and a child who's incredibly annoying. Mm -hmm. And they're written to be annoying. I don't want to make it sound like um, their their portrayal of the character is annoying. I think that they portrayed the character exactly how whoever wrote this script intended. And and by the way, let's not get it and twisted. Both of these characters, Willie is just a sexist stereotype and Short Round yep, is just exactly. a racist One. stereotype. In yep. fact, I think something I'll just bring up now is this film is pretty shockingly racist <laughs> like yes. it's it's not it's not like you because people you know people bring up that dinner scene right which is certainly culturally insensitive but i think that it's more than that like oh the- yeah no top to bottom their portrayal of the uh indian people their portrayal of short round their portrayal of natives their portrayal of the people at that dinner scene their portrayal that they could be in a cult. I yeah. mean, it's, <clears throat> it, it, it's it, it it and I get if you really wanted to try to defend that, you could say that that is like an old timey adventure serial. But I feel like that's the kind of part you should leave out. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, um, but but I guess it 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 is a lot like what you what you might find if you watch like a like a or if you saw like a comic from a like for the late eighteen hundreds or something about like somebody adventuring to Asia where all the Asians are just this blatant stereotype. Um, and it's, it's taken to a bit of an extreme here. It's pretty, it's pretty unforgivable. In yeah. This movie. And you mentioned Willie too. She's classic. Oh, I broke a nail. Ew. Yeah. The food is gross. I'm going to throw up a uh, bug. Yeah. It's not even just like, it's like a woman who happens to be annoying. This is like a women are really annoying is what this is. Um, that's what the character is. And so let's get to this sex yeah. scene because my God. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so stupid. So there's some sexual tension question mark that appears between Indiana and Willie. Which makes no sense because it's Which very makes clear no sense. that Indiana that like he absolutely loathes her. Like it's that they loathe each other. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Um, and so they're like, they kiss and then he's like, oh, he gets mad about something. And she's like, you'll be back in five minutes. He's like, no, I won't. And so they go into their respective rooms and she, she pretties herself up and lays on the bed and waits longingly for Indiana. And they're pacing back and forth and talking to themselves Someone shows up in Indiana's room and tries to choke him, and he fights him. And Willie storms out. Well, you can't have this anyway. Ba 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 ba. 
And then he runs back in her room shirtless because for some reason he had to take off his shirt to fight the guy who was strangling him. And then he puts his hands. This was the part that really got me. He puts it. So he's looking around for someone in Willie's room and she's like, I'm right here. I'm right here. He puts his hands on the breasts of a statue. She puts her hands on her breasts and she says, why are you doing that? I'm right here. <laughs> this is like right after the ceiling fan scene, right? That's that's like yep. he hangs the guy from the ceiling. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I, it, who wrote this? I, I mean, it, could it possibly be the same writer from the, from the first film? I'm looking that up right now because I actually don't know. And if it is the same writer from the first film, then what happened? I mean, seriously, it's like, it's not even just that they're like, oh, there's a, there's like a kind of cringeworthy scene here or there. It's like this entire movie is just a cringe fest. I'm looking this up. I'm I'm curious because I'm assuming you don't know. Yeah, it really is because you can keep going. I mean, I'll, I'll here's say what the I thing. Find. Here's the thing. I don't know if we've mentioned this enough. Willie and Short Round are literally in every scene of this movie. From the beginning, you have either Willie or Short Round with Indiana in every scene of this movie, and we just talked about how annoying they are. So you can imagine how terrible. That is. Oh yeah, it's no, it's it's absolutely unbearable. I mean, I guess they're supposed to be the comic relief, right? But it's like they're not. First of all, they're not funny, and secondly, they're just overbearing. You know, it's it's not like you get a oh here's a funny quip here or there to relieve some tension. It's like it's constant. I mean, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised honestly if they have more speaking lines than than Harrison Ford did. Because be it right. definitely feels like it. You might be right. Uh. Mm. I'm, uh, oh, and this is nothing to say of, of the way that they escaped the plane, which is they got in a big inflatable thing. Uh, they fell out of the plane safely on their big inflatable thing, then basically fell off the side of a mountain cliff, and it parachuted its way down into a riverbed. <laughs> Okay, oh, I just want to say, so I finally found the writers, and no, they are not the same writers as the original film, which is good to know. Um, so, you you know, you have to wonder, it's like, what did they get out of Raiders of the Lost Ark to think that this would make a worthy sequel? Like, what are you... Because what are the takeaways from Raiders, right? Like, could anyone really take away from Raiders that this is the kind of movie... That they should make as a sequel. That that's my biggest thought when I watch this. Is like Last Crusade, I see it, right? Like Last Crusade Definitely. makes total sense. I, I still think Last Crusade is a little bit on the goofier and more lighthearted side than Raiders. Like it still doesn't quite match it, but it feels like an Indiana Jones film, doesn't it? Whereas this yeah, is sure. like what? Like this is like this is like the Indiana Jones equivalent to a Star Wars prequel. You're, where you're just like what yeah. were you even thinking? Like, why does this strike you as what Indiana Jones should be? Or what yeah, Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones is? Indiana Jones, the character, just happened to fall into Bizarro World. Yeah. And this is the sequel that we got. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, you know, it really wasn't 
probably meant to be a series, and even if it was, it wasn't clear what the direction should be. So you can. Oh God, that's even worse though to think about. Think about the think about the morbid world we would live in if this was the last <laughs> of two Indiana Jones oh, movies. Well, I think I would hope that it would have. Well, just but been now forgotten. we now we've ended on Kingdom of the Kiss, Crystal Skull, so I guess. Yeah, I, which is worse than this, by the way. Um, definitely. I used to not think so, but it, it is. It's it, it definitely is. Um, this might have. This is certainly a more awful film in some regards, <laughs> um, particularly the racism. Um, and and there and I I would say you know you're not going to get his character as outwardly annoying as Willie in Short Round in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but that entire film is just really bad. <laughs> so so I. There you go, everybody. Temple of Doom is a better film than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We really have some hot takes here in this. You've heard it here first. But uh, but honestly, not by that much. Am I right about that? Like, it's honestly that not that much better. Uh, I would I would I would generally agree, except for again. So we've talked about kind of the main plot points. Once you get to the true climax of this movie, it is incredible. It is just sure. such a fun ride. Um, but the thing every is, part of it. Yeah, but the thing is, the rest of the movie, there are like there are entire sections of this movie that are probably worse than anything but, in Kingdom. But he doesn't survive a nuke in a refrigerator <laughs> in this one. Yeah, but I even, will remind I you. I even prefer that scene to the fucking dinner scene. Like I'm yeah, not that even, dinner scene is very bad. I, I, I like oh God. So let, we we're, we have the spoiler tag up. Let's talk about the story some more. So there, there's an, a, the, the crux of this film. You know, Indiana Jones has always been a very um, sort of – it's got a very paranormal element to it. You know, a very uh, – and so this film, for whatever reason, took that and made it into a film where they discover a cult, which is different. I'll give it that. At least, like, Last Crusade is very much – plays it a lot more safe in this regard because it does pretty much the same thing the first one did where they're finding a Christian religious um, – um, relic right at least this movie does something pretty different but stays within that supernatural element but see i just think this is absurd like the the, the fucking scene where the guy just like and it's really iconic and i admit that the effects and everything are pretty cool in it but just the scene where he rips the guy's heart out and then sends him down into a literal pool of fire is so ridiculous that it's like i again it's like this movie just it takes everything to this super cartoonish and stupid place where it's like can we talk about the special effects for a second sure so in my in my most recent watch i want to call out one specific scene that just cracked me up so they walk into the the room where they're having this cult ceremony before they get up to the ledge to watch to look down and see the cult being performed what you just talked about that scene exactly so when they walk in they're clearly in front of a green screen and i think they didn't shoot the background of the green screen correctly because basically they're floating off the ground oh is this i don't remember this is this true it looks terrible like it's clearly (laughs) them in front of a green screen it really cracked me up well (laughs) yeah um mm. oh we skipped over that awful scene where they're walking through a bunch of bugs and they had to yeah, put their hands the I kinda, Ew, I bugs! Kinda called it out a, I know. I kind of called it out a little bit, but yeah. Oh, 
gosh. And I, it's like, it's again, it's another thing. It's like where I'm like, they just took the last film to an issue because the last one had a lot of the creepy crawly kind of stuff, like the whole scene where he gets trapped in that um, chamber with a bunch of asps, you know, and like, um, yeah. but they, so they're like, okay, well, we need to have a scene with creepy collies. Let's have them walking through a tunnel with a bunch of bugs and they have to put their hands into bugs. But the problem, which, you know, actually, to be fair to them, the, the setup isn't too dissimilar to the first one. It's not too ridiculous on its face, but when you put the... When you put Willie into it, then it gets ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Mm. And doesn't Short Round... Do, wait, doesn't Short Round say in this scene? Doesn't he say it feels like we're walking on fortune cookies? Yes. Oh, no! I was hoping I just remembered that wrong. Yes, he does. He does indeed say that. I also want to call out... I don't know if you remember all this nonsense, but all the stupid stuff with the freaking elephants... Yeah. God, that's just the worst. And she's just, like, screaming and being, like, oh, just so annoying. Like, ah, ah, Andy, Andy. <laughs> and the whole time, Indiana and Short Round are having a, having a gambling game going. And Short Round, they're like, crank up the racist Asian accent for a little bit, Short Round. <laughs> More racist, please. <laughs> Not racist enough. That, that was my George Lucas again. Yeah, that was the direction. It's got to be I, like I, George R. Binks. I enjoyed Make that, it like but Jar it needs Jar. to be a little more racist. Like George R. Binks, please. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the, the climax of this film. Because like I mentioned, mm, once you get to mm. basically... Can I stop you? I, 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 I want to get there too, but I don't I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because then we're going to have to go back. And there's a segment of this film I think we need to talk about. In a way, this film gets the darkest that any of the four films get because they do this ludicrous section. Like a section of the film that I don't know how anybody thought it was good. But they do this ridiculous section where Indiana Jones, like, turns evil. And this is before the climax, which is why I want to get into it. Um, and they have this... I, does he get brainwashed? Or I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but, like, he, he sort of joins the cult and, like, there's, like, child slavery and all this crazy fucking shit. And Indy's, like... They make him drink from the blood. Oh, right, yeah. But they have this... Also, isn't there a scene before that where they just have this Indiana Jones torture scene where they just torture Indiana yep. Jones? Him him, and Short Round. Right, both yeah. get Both get lashed. <laughs> it's like this film just keeps trying to sink lower you know it's like it, it, it can't stay tonally consistent it it is completely incapable of that and then okay so we i just wanted to make sure we mentioned that okay so we can move to the climax now because that's where you wanted to go so you, you go ahead okay yeah so basically right after that scene that's kind of that is kind of what kicks off the climax when indiana is like evil and they're chaining up willie to sacrifice her short round has his plays his part and basically wakes indiana jones up but just starting from then on there's a battle in that cult room where they're like going back and forth between lowering willie and bringing her up that's a really great a really fun little fight there's a large-scale fight in the mines where they're trying to sort of free the kids but escape they get into mine carts. 
there's, there's a fun chase scene with the mine carts. Don't forget there's that really great fight scene on the conveyor belt. Um, yep. Fight choreography there is great. It's really tense. It's it's yep. very clearly trying to... I, I, I get the impression this scene that it's sort of trying to be like the next like helicopter scene, you know, or not helicopter, um, plane or whatever the fuck it was, yeah. the bomber, where like Indy and the buff guy like fighting while the bomber's spinning around and shit. It's, it's a lot like that because it ends in a similarly like gruesome way. Um, but I, oh, such good, tense fight choreography in, yep. in that and, scene, and yeah. Short Round learns that they have to go left because he wakes up the Maharaja. Um, but they end up going right. And so there's this really fun chase scene in minecarts and a, and a fight scene there. Um, they kind of escape that whole situation but a water tower they they knock over a water tower so then there's this big race against the the flowing water and it's like okay they finally escape and you're like okay this whole thing is over but no it's still going they get chased out onto a bridge they get cornered on the bridge there's a fun scene where they're having to chain themselves up to the bridge as indiana basically cuts the bridge in half some people fall into the lake then they're trying to climb up, and there's the big evil guy. And as I mentioned, this is where it feels like it kind of gets a little long. The main villain's trying to pull them down. They're trying to pull him down. Some people show up with bow and arrows and just are the worst shots in the world because they're literally all <laughs> yeah, just like motionless. Yeah. Um, but then finally, the British officer comes and saves the day, which also feels kind of casually racist, too, as I think about it more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, all of that, I just think, is incredible. Um, the choreography, as you mentioned, the fight choreography, the, sh the shot compositions, the acting, like their their facial an animation as as this is all happening. It's all really great. I mean, there's just, a lot, of, there's just a lot of iconic imagery in this segment, too. Like, that entire bridge sequence. I put up, you can see there the little picture of him standing on the bridge. It's a very iconic shot right there where he holds the, the sword, and he, the machete, and he has to decide, like, he when he realizes he has to cut the thing. Um, just really great, uh, really great Spielberg directing there, you know, and, um, you know, you've got Spielberg at the helm of this, so of course the direction is going to be, is going to be great. Um, and I'd say it is all throughout the film. If the script weren't so utterly abysmal and if everything else weren't so awful, um, you, you can say yeah, that literally I, if <laughs> top to bottom, this was a better <laughs> yeah, movie, but, I but, think. but I, then you would, I think you'd be able to notice the good directing more, you know, but there is good directing <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole thing, I would say. Okay, so I think that kind of wraps this one up. Yeah, unless I'll, you have I'll anything this, else. I'll take the spoiler tag down because I, I think you're right. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, I'll say it after. Okay, so I'll say, like I mentioned at the top of this, this watch, I framed the movie differently and I enjoyed being able to make fun of it. And for that, I actually quite enjoyed this watch of this movie. But would I recommend this? Absolutely not. If, you're, if you want to watch an Indiana Jones film, hands down, watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Do not watch this one. <laughs> Easily. Even if you want to marathon Indiana Jones films, just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark four times and you're good. <laughs> or watch Raiders of the Last Crusade and pretend the other two aren't real. Yeah, truly. Um, so with that, what do I give this? Oh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to put a number to this one. But I'd probably give it around maybe like a four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely less than mediocre, but if anything, I would just like basically skip to the climax, watch that, and then turn the movie off 
And that to me was <laughs> that alone was fun, really fun. And then you so. got like an eight or a nine there, you know. So yeah, right. Yeah, um, I'll echo your thoughts pretty much entirely. I'd also give this a four. Do I recommend it? No. If you're watching the trilogy, I mean, sure, you have to watch it, right? But like, I. So I want to I want to make something clear. Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite film of all time. That hasn't changed for years and years and years. And as people may know in this channel, I don't know how much I talk about movies. We talk about it here, obviously. But I'm I I have um my tastes don't really line up with the kind of film that that is. At least you wouldn't think that they do. Um, you know, I'm into I I enjoy thoughtier movies. I enjoy, but but I'm not I'm not a snob by any means. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is just. An absolutely brilliant film that is so fucking good, and I cannot get enough of it. It's the, just got to be the most rewatchable film of all time for me. It's so fantastic. And the fact that this is the follow-up to that, it's just depressing. Like, how did this happen? And... <sighs> So, of course, I give a glowing recommendation to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I, I wanted to say that I'm not, I actually agree with you, Stephen, that I'm not a fan of the Indiana Jones franchise. I'm really not. Raiders of the Lost Ark stands on its own. Um, it is an amazing movie, and again, it's just like, I don't need to think about the other films. Last Crusade, I think, is actually pretty overrated. You said you thought it was just okay. I think it's pretty good, but it's like, it doesn't even come close to Raiders. So, as a general rule, I wouldn't even recommend the trilogy. But obviously, I don't recommend this. I don't even know. I'm glad you were able to get enjoyment out of it, Stephen. But I don't think I possibly could because this movie is just annoying. <laughs> it's just annoying and stupid. And it's like, yes, that climax is so good, which is why I bump it up to a four. But if I honestly think if you take that climax out, what you might have is like a two out of ten. Like you might have a two uh, at most like a three. Um, and yeah, no. Sometimes it's fun to watch... As your ears bleed is what I've learned. <laughs> sure, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's all for that. So I think we're moving on to the recommendations if we're done here. Yep. All right, Stephen, I'll let you go ahead and give me your rec. So this is going to make somebody out there happy. This one goes out to your um, Discord channel, Mr. Lewis. Because I'm going to recommend to you the Peter Gabriel album, So. So is the fifth studio album by singer-songwriter Peter Gabriel. It was released in 1986. So is the album that has Sledgehammer, Big Time. Some of his biggest hits came off of So. Okay. And that's what I'll say about that. All right, and I am also recommending to you an album here. I know that's a surprise. Um, I am recommending to you the album The College Dropout by Kanye West. The College Dropout was Kanye West's 2004 debut. Oh, my God, did I get that wrong? Hang on. Nope, not accepting it. If I got that wrong, I'm not going any farther if I got that wrong. Yes, 2004. 2004 debut album by Kanye West, who previously was just a producer. Uh, I believe he produced a lot for Jay-Z. I'm not totally certain, but um, Kanye West then produced uh, his own album with the College Drop, but he made his own beats. There may have been co-producers here or there, but a lot of them are his beats. Um, and um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. And uh, I think that'll do it for this episode of Get Wrecked. Um, 
we had a theme. It was Honda days. Don't know if you noticed that. It's very obvious. Yeah, did you notice? Did you notice the weaving? Did you notice the how we weaved it together? Yeah, it was pretty good. And please it, brighten the comments below. How much you enjoyed this episode's first three minutes, as opposed to other Get Wrecked episodes' first three minutes, which are always the best part of the episode. Yes, just like in Temple of Doom, when you might want to fast forward to the climax and get wrecked, you want to listen to the first three minutes and then turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we have anything to add uh, as far as the podcast is concerned? Um, our cousin is asking if Honda noticed. Uh, not yet, but we're holding out. We're holding out. I'm I'm actually staring at my email right now. <laughs> Refreshing constantly. I've I've been Just... clicking the refresh button every ten seconds. I'm 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 looking out. I'm looking out. I know it's gonna happen. Somebody send this Honda's way. We'll sell out. It'll be great. Yep, so I don't I don't have any housekeeping items. Do you have anything, Lewis? Nope, neither do I. Okay, well with that, those were our thoughts. Those were our recommendations. Get wrecked. <laughs>